The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Hey, well, glory. This is Dudley. Uh, it's good to be back with you. I'm eager to share with you some, some more stuff along the same lines we talked about last month as, we, as we're talking about being friends with Christ. I also wanted to, to uh, encourage you to get a hold of this resource right here called Grace Applied, Walking in Ultimate Freedom. This is a series I did not long ago, and it is fabulous. Well, it is fabulous because it's talking about it's talking about the freedom that's ours, and and when you walk in grace, there's some people who who think grace frees you from moral obligation or frees you from holiness and whatever it doesn't. It frees you to be all that you were designed to be. So it's really a good group. I I, I remember. I mean, it's a good stuff. I remember doing it and having so much fun with it. So get a hold of it, Grace Applied, Walking in Ultimate Freedom. And it'll uh, answer your questions about, some people call it hyper-grace. It's like, you know, well, you get too much grace, you'll get too too free, and then you won't be a good person or a holy person or whatever. Well, you might not be as religious, but you will be holier because holy is the way God designed you to be. Free is holy. So, And then uh, folks who are always trying to add a little bit to grace, you know, like, well, grace is uh, is good, but you kind of need to supplement it with law. And uh, uh, no, you don't. So anyway, you'll love this and get it, use it for your family, use it for your friends. Hey, it, if you're getting this uh, before March 5th, you still got time to come to the Epic Conference. Uh, Sojourn Church, Thursday night through Saturday noon. It's going to be the best conference of the year. Just put down everything you want to do. Register right now and come. Be there. Uh, if you're getting this after then, we'll have already had a wonderful time and you'll have missed it. And I hope you'll plan to come next year. Next thing on our uh, big calendar is the uh, Wild Man event. Wild Man, we do that out at the ranch and for men and boys to uh, come and just be a man, just to be a, a real man and enjoy all the stuff that men like to do, which is silly games and competitive stuff and shooting guns and fishing and shooting a bow and arrow and telling stories and listening to songs and eating great food and sitting around the fire and everything you've ever wanted to do. So if you're a man or a boy. So, uh, boys need to be about 10. They don't need to be so uh, so young that they they could get lost in the shuffle of things. And uh, bring somebody with you. Come and come to Wild Man. Go online, kerygmaventures.com, I think. And uh, or call the office. Anyway, hope you'll hope you'll be a part of that. Okay, uh, this month I am talking about the still talking about the whole thing of relating to Jesus as a friend. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing, he says in, in uh, John chapter 15. John 15 is a part of a, a longer text, a longer passage of scripture starts in John 13, goes through 17, where Jesus is explaining this is his last teaching session with the disciples before his death and the resurrection and all that. And so he's he's summing up everything about what, what it means to 
to have his life, to share his life. And so in chapter 15, right in the middle of that discourse, we, we have this stuff right here. It says, Oh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. He goes on to say, I am telling you these things because I call you my friends and not a servant, a slave. A slave gets told what to do. A friend gets told what's happening. So a friend is one that understands what's going on because the friend has told him. So, so Jesus said, I, I'm choosing to be a friend. And so that's what chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is about. It's Jesus explaining to his friends what is happening. What is happening cosmically? What is happening in God's agenda? What's happening in their lives? What, how it all fits together? Because he is about to tell them that it, something really dramatic is about to happen. He is about to leave them. And that he knows they're going to get all upset about that. And he's saying, no, 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 let me tell you what's going to happen now. Yes, I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you so that in the Father where I am, you can be also. You can have the same relationship with the Father that I do, and you can share in this life, this life of the Trinity, if you will. And the way that's going to happen is I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he'll make the relationship with the Father real to you. And it'll be as real to you or more real to you than my being here. And it'll be better because I can be in all of you as well as with you. And he'll be revealing all that I have to you. Because, you know, they're just looking at Jesus and his human form and they don't just with physical eyes you can't see all that jesus is you can't see him as the king of the universe you can't see him as the lamb that was slain you can't see all all of that he is the holy spirit's going to show you all that he is so it's going to be a wonderful time wonderful day so he's explaining to them all the stuff that's going that's going on then and that's going to happen later because he's a friend he's explaining things as a friend now, as he finishes up with the discourse, he moves into prayer, and he, he prays. And I, a couple of things I want to show you here in his prayer. This is John 17. After Jesus spoke in these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all, over all people to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I've glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had in your presence before the world existed. Listen to this. I have made your name known to those 
whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they kept your word. And, and he goes on several times in this text. He talks about how he has kept them in the Father's name. And then he prays and says, Father, I'm asking you to keep them in your name after I'm gone. Keep them in your name. And then he closes out the prayer with this fabulous deal. He says this, Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I made your name known to them. I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Notice what he didn't pray. Might shock you. He didn't say, Father, righteous Father, make these better people. These boys are young and immature and sinful and weak and, and, and uh, they, they think they... They think they are special because they're Jewish people and they think they got it all figured out because they've learned how to manipulate power and authority. So, so straighten them out, Father, and, and make them better people. Get them disciplined, orderly, holy folks who go to the synagogue every, every Sabbath and who, who do all the right, who live by the Torah. That's not what he prayed. He prayed that if they know his name, that the love with which God the Father loved Jesus might be in them and that he himself would be in them. Jesus is praying to the end that all his disciples, including you and me, would know what it is to be loved the way the Son was loved by the Father. Jesus knows that it's love that changes people, not law, nor shame, nor guilt, nor fear. It's love. It's, it's when someone is unconditionally loved the way God loves, the way God the Father loves God the, the Son. When you love like that, it transforms you. We are changed by the people that love us, not by the things that we believe is true. It's important to believe things are true, but you're changed by the people that love you. So here we go. Uh, Jesus has prayed uh, or, or has said over earlier and praised this in that chapter. I, I didn't read that, but he says, I'm praying that you'll do these things so that my joy will be in them and that your joy will be complete. Let's talk about that again. This is rehearsing a little bit some stuff we talked about a month or so ago. When is, a, when is somebody operating in joy? And by the way, if you don't operate in joy, you're operating in, in, in flesh, you're operating in a, a limited resource, a limited energy, a limited life, and it, it will burn out. Only that which is motivated in joy will last, will increase in strength. So, so joy is the motivator. God designed the brain that way. The very center of the brain is a joy center. And out of joy is the greatest motivation that a man can have. Sure, you can be motivated by fear. You can be motivated by uh, greed. You can be motivated by a lot of stuff. But you can't be properly motivated apart from joy. Did you hear me? You cannot be properly motivated apart from joy. Now, what is joy? We said earlier that joy 
is the state of knowing someone special is glad to be with you. When we know that God is glad to be with us, that he delights in us, that, that his joy is being with us, when we know that God delights in us, then we're delighted. We're, we're joyful. When we're delighted, we, we see other people that way, and we are delighted to be in their presence and delighted they're in our presence. And so, so it begins to spread. When you are walking in joy, your eyes are open to reality. You see things as they are. When you are not operating in joy, your relational circuits are cut down, shut down, and you don't even relate to people as human beings. That's created in God's image. You, you identify them as enemies or threats or whatever. But when you're operating in joy, you see things as they are. Your eyes are open. Your ears are open. You hear God speaking in ways that before you didn't hear him speak at all. And so, so, so Jesus says, I'm telling you all this. I'm doing all this. This whole gospel thing is about your joy being full. Because my joy is full. And I'm sharing my joy with you. Whoa. Can you believe it? That Jesus would be willing to share his very life, his, his joy with us. Now, so why is all this true? Why is this stuff about joy true? Well, God created us to be loved and to be delighted in. That's how he created you. That's why the center of your brain operates that way. That's why there's a longing inside of your deepest being to be loved unconditionally. That's man's greatest desire, to be loved unconditionally. And until you get that, you're going to be looking for it in all the wrong places. You'll be looking for satisfaction and all kinds of idols and substitutes. But when you know that the most special person in the universe delights to be with you and he loves you unconditionally, it meets a need. It produces in you peace. How often do we hear about peace? Jesus said, I give you peace. Not as the world gives, I give you peace. What is peace? It's that, it's that satisfaction of knowing that I am, I am full. I'm full of joy. I'm, 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 I'm unconditionally loved. I'm, I'm delighting to the Lord. So, so God's creation is all about that. Now, the other thing you need to know about this whole thing is this. Since this is true, you can be sure that hell's strategy is to convince you that God is not delighted to be with you. So he'll reinterpret scripture to you. God's arm is not, uh, is not short that he can't reach us, but it's your sins have separated. Well, that's a true statement, but in, in context, what he's, he, he's, what he's not saying is God is so offended at you that he's gone off into a far country and he doesn't want to mess with you ever again. That's not what that's saying. It's saying that our sins shut us down. Our sin shuts my eyes to the presence and the reality of God. It shuts my eyes to his love. It shuts my eyes to reality. Sin separates us from God. Yes, it does. But it's not because God is mad with you or God has left you or God is so disgusted with you he can't put up with you. It is because we have chosen a way contrary 
to his way. We've chosen to be delightful to something and someone else and to be delighted in something or someone else. So, so, the, so the devil will do all he can to try to convince you that God does not delight to be with you. He'll make you feel like you're rejected. He'll, he'll let other people reject you, shame you, put you down, be punitive toward you. And you say, that, that, that's where, that's where you, and, 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 and guilt and shame come in the whole picture and fear, all of that come into the whole thing. Why? To get you to look at those circumstances and to conclude, God does not like to be with me. If God likes to be with me, why is he let me have these problems? Why does he let my, me lose my job? Why do you let me lose my wife? Why do you let me, why does he let my kids treat me like it? Why, why, why does the church not, not nurture? Why? So he gets you to conclude, uh, it's because God does not really delight in me. He's waiting until I become delightful. And, and when I become more delightful, then maybe he'll have more to do with me. That's such a lie. What Jesus is saying here is I've come to counteract that lie and to, and to show you by what I say and what I do that the Father loves you unconditionally. That he is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father and you see how I, I treat you. And so that's what he's saying. I have made his name known to you. I've made his nature real to you. I've made his name known. Now, since we're looking at this whole text, start with John 13 through 17. Is there any place in that text other than Jesus' direct statements about, I'm going to send the Father to the Holy Spirit to you, and Father loves you like he loves me? Does he reveal his his name to us. I contend that he does. All of this started when the disciples had gathered with Jesus in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. Now, you know the Passover meal. It was one of the great feasts of Israel. And, and it was celebrating the time when Israel, at least the descendants of, of uh, Abraham, were in bondage in Egypt for about 400 years. And God was going to deliver them. And so there was this deal set up so they were to eat this lamb, put his blood on the doorpost of their house, and when the judgment, the death angel came through, the, that house would not be judged. It would be passed over. And so they were celebrating this great act of deliverance, and they did it all these years, all those centuries. But now something new is happening. So Jesus gets his boys together, and they're going to celebrate the Passover meal. Now, in that culture, the way you had an intimate meal, a family meal, a close meal, is you would recline at the table. Now, if you were a slave, you may have to sit on a bench or stand up or whatever, but if you were part of the group, if you're part of the family, you would kind of lean on your, uh, on your elbow and you would recline. So my feet would be down around your chest or, or head or whatever. And so it would, it would be like that, which, which is a lot of intimacy. I mean, it was so intimate that on this occasion, when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me in this bunch, Peter looked over at John, who was leaning on Jesus' breast because he happened to be the one next to it and said, ask him who it is. And, uh, 
So evidently John looked up and said, who is it? And Jesus answered him. So they were that close. It's an intimate meal is my point. Now, if you're, if it's that, that much an intimate meal and you're all that close together and you have been walking the streets of Jerusalem or wherever, where there's been sheep dung and camel dung and dust and dirt and whatever, your feet get dirty. And so it's kind of hard to enjoy pita bread and hummus if somebody's foot who's full of uh, sheep dung is like six inches from your nose. So it was customary for before that kind of meal that there would be a washing of the feet. Now, there's usually a slave designed, uh, assigned to do that job. But in this occasion, there was nobody there. It was just disciples and Jesus. And so they, they, they recline, and then Jesus gets up and puts on a towel and begins to wash feet. Now, why? Because evidently Jesus could see what they couldn't see. All of his circuits were open. He could see there's a need here. This is stinky, smelly. This is not healthy. I'm going to wash feet. Now, in an honor society, which that was, it's almost blasphemy for somebody of prominence to wash feet. That, 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 that's just putting yourself down. That's blasphemy. That's, that's dishonoring to your position. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so he begins to wash feet. Now, here, here's my point. Listen to me. You see, those disciples had seen Jesus cast out demons. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him heal the sick, make blind eyes see, lame walk. They'd seen him multiply bread and feed 5,000 with just a few pieces multiplied. They'd seen him speak to the winds and the waves. They'd seen the power of his name. Now they're getting to see the nature of that power and of that name. The nature of God and the nature of the power that rules in his kingdom is a foot-washing nature. It's a nature of serving. It's a nature of loving. It's a nature of being so aware of what's going on that you see what needs to be done and you do that nothing more nothing less. See, it's interesting that when, when Jesus gets to Peter and Peter goes, and you, you're going to wash my feet? No, I know who you are. You're the Lord. You're not washing my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. In other words, if you're not loved by me first, you have no part in loving others. Anyway, you know, Peter Petrus Peter said, okay, then wash my ears and my nose and my head and my, you know, wash me all over. He said, no, don't need to wash you all over. You already had a bath. I'm just going to meet the need that's there and no more, no less. He, he wasn't on a cause. He wasn't trying to impress somebody that he was a servant. He, he, he just saw a need and said, I'll meet it. And so he humbled himself and washed their feet, even Judas's feet. 
who's going to betray him in a few minutes. So it is in that, it's in that act. And by the way, Jesus goes on to say, you don't know what I've done, but you need to do this for each other. What he's saying is, I've revealed the Father's name to you. And this is the, this is the nature of the life that I'm giving to you. When you, when you share my life, this is how you see things. This is how you hear things. This is how you do things. This is, this is the life that I'm giving to you. That's the nature of his name. That will keep you. That will protect you. That will cause the world to be changed because of you. Because you change the world with a foot washing attitude. Now, you know I'm not talking about the, just the physical act. It's a, it's, a, it's a symbol. You know, I've been to some churches when I was a kid that, that have foot washing as part of their ritual. And um, the truth wasn't nobody there needed their feet washed. I mean, I had on shoes and socks, and I was totally embarrassed when they took my shoes and socks off, and uh, I was conscious of my big toe and all that. Uh, it, it's okay as a symbol, but I didn't really need my feet washed. These guys needed their feet washed. And so he, he, he washed it. So, so he's saying, this is the, you need to know the nature of this life that I'm giving you. And this is what it is. It's a, it's a life of foot washing. If a foot needs to be washed. Uh, giving bread, if bread needs to be given. Giving a cup of water, if a cup of water needs to be given. Of correcting injustice, injustice needs to be forgiven. Uh, and injustice needs to be corrected. What, whatever it is. And, and when you do it that way, you do it in joy. Because here's what it says about Jesus. How was Jesus able to do that? Why would he be willing to contradict the culture, cultural norms of the day? It says this in John 13. Jesus, knowing that he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, took the towel and washed their feet. Oh, so Jesus was operating on truth. He was not buying into the interpretation that he was a bastard, that he was a just one of many teachers in Israel, that he was an insurrectionist, that he was uh, a blasphemer, uh, that he was alone. He, all of those things were, were, he was accused of, but he did not take on any of those identities. He stayed with the truth, knowing who he was, where he was, and what he had been given. He was able to wash feet. If you don't know who you are and you don't know what you've been given, you won't be able to wash feet much. If you do, you'll do it for pride or do it trying to trying to gain some worth or something. It's only those who know the truth that are able to give their lives away. You see, Jesus knowing that was when you know that everything you have has been given to you, you can't help but be appreciative toward others and grateful toward God. So do you know what Jesus' attitude was? Gratitude, 
and a, he was appreciative. He was appreciative of of even uh, of even Judas's job. Go do what you have to do. He said. He 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 was going to betray Jesus, and in the betrayal of Jesus, salvation be bought. Jesus could appreciate everybody there around the table. He could look at Peter, old impetuous Peter, and go, "I I know who he is. I know where I know where he's going to. I know tonight he's going to deny me, but I know in a few days he's going to be commissioned to be a, one of the finest shepherds." ever on the earth. You look at Doubting Thomas, I know who he is. He's appreciative toward the boys, but he was also grateful toward the father. You know, there's hardly anything more paralyzing, damaging than being ungrateful and unappreciative. It means that you have looked at life as a judge rather than as a lover. It, it means that you have somehow concluded that you have rights, that you have, you're entitled to things. And then when you don't have them, you're upset and whatever. And the moment you become unappreciative and ungrateful because you don't know that everything you have is given of God, it has all kind of debilitating effect. First of all, your relational circuit shut down. Secondly, your, your, uh, your judgment of things gets distorted. You think God wants you to fix everything, fix everybody. Just, just not good. Hey, uh, recently, it was time for me to get my driver's license renewed. And I don't know if it's true everywhere, but in Texas, uh, they've changed the law. You know, I've, I've done it online now for so many years. This year, you had to go back in person and stand in line and get your driver's license renewed. Well, I'd heard that it was... Uh, fiasco. So I called around and tried to find the best place to go. I drove halfway across the Metroplex to get a place at 8 o'clock. Got there and there's already 200 people in line. So, okay, I'm going to be here a while. So we're all sitting there. You get a number when you go in and uh, I got my number and I'm sitting down and uh, start talking to the people around me and lovely people. You know, the guy next to me is a big old 18-year-old kid from uh, California, moved here, and loved hearing, hearing his story. Next to him was a lady from Germany who was trying to get her immigration papers and loved hearing her story. She's turned into a cowgirl and you know, the people across from me have heard their story about their grandkids. So we just had our little community there. We were listening to each other's stories and uh, laughing about, you know, what our number was, how many people were there and so forth. Then I... Uh, I looked up on the board and I, I realized that when I came in, I got a number that was 93. He ended in 93. And the number they were calling when I came in was 13. I had been there an hour and 15, 20 minutes and they were up to 20. So I'm thinking, you know, what, how long am I going to be here? In one hour and 20 minutes, 15 minutes, one hour and 15 minutes, they've gotten seven, and I am 80 away. I'll be here through Thursday. And so then I got to noticing how inefficient everything was there. I mean, 
a seven-year-old could have figured out a more efficient way to get dealing with that crowd and getting everybody. It's like they didn't have anything right. They, they didn't have anything organized properly. And I, I just, the government, the government, so inefficient. So look, 200 people here taking off work. Look at the man hours of labor and productivity that's being wasted here simply because somebody didn't think through this thing and come try to figure it out. They just made a law. Now they're trying to figure out what a joke, what a, a joke. And, and and then I was I remembered it, you know, having to deal with the government last year about some income tax stuff. It's like, oh man, what a deal. And then all of a sudden I became blind to the people around me. It's like, these, these are no longer my friends. These are obstacles. These are people that are in front of me in line and they're going to get to do their number before I get to do my number. I'll be here to the to the end. And after all, my time is as important as anybody's here. And, and uh, pretty soon, I was I was in a I was in a bad state. I was sad and disgusted and hopeless and mad. And so, in the language of the prodigal son. After stewing there a few minutes, oh, let me go ahead, full disclosure here. I was so agitated, I started calling other centers where you could get your driver's license and finding out, you know, when could I get an appointment there or when could I go and what if I went to a small town, I even called small town mineral wells, you know, when could I get out there? Of course, it's an hour and a half out there, an hour and a half back, three hours there, well, okay. So, so anyway, I'm just striving, trying to figure out a way to solve this problem that's been thrust on me by inconvenience and uncaring. And uh, you know. anyway, you get the picture. I'm sitting there, Stu, and I'm thinking, this is not exactly a life of joy that I'm experiencing right now. My joy is not all that complete. In fact, it's not even here. So I came to myself and I thought, well, I wonder if it's really true that you ought to thank God for everything. That's what he said. What if I took the posture that Jesus did that everything I have is given to me and started thanking him for what's given to me? So I started thanking him for the fact that uh, there was a department of driver's license because otherwise we'd all be running over each other on the road People wouldn't know how to drive and be killing each other by the thousands. And so I'm grateful for, for a system that has driver's license. And then I was thankful for the, so I started thanking the Lord for the, for the road that I had to drive over there on and, and the car that I had to, that got me over there safely. And for the people that were back there working because now they weren't on welfare, but they had a job. And, and for the privilege of getting to know these people around me here and hearing their stories and and so I, I just kind of lost myself there for a few minutes in gratitude, thinking about all the things God had given me. And you know what? Something did happen. It was almost like, it was palatable. It's almost like somebody kind of took the hat off my eyes and went, well, look at that. These became people again around me. I was able to laugh with them and Rejoice that somebody got to go ahead of me and thinking, I'm so glad you get to go to work now. Maybe go home taking that. Well, but but I was rejoicing. We were laughing and wishing each other the best and and so forth. And then I was 
I was just thinking about the day. I've got several hours to sit here. I can read. I can pray. I can write. There's things I can do because I can't do anything else. And so my joy returned. My joy returned because I returned to reality. See, the real thing is everything I have is a gift of God. And even my time, the three and a half hours that I finally spent. Oh, by the way, somebody figured out how to do it a little more proficiently so that I was only there three and a half hours instead of 15. So I thought, you know, that's uh, it's amazing that, that Jesus knew what he was talking about and that the nature of the life he gives us is, uh, it's, it's one of service, but it's service that comes out of joy. It's uh, when when you do it his way, your eyes are open. You can see things as they really are. You see yourself for who you are. You see people for who they are. They're not obstacles. They're people. They all have a story. Some some of them may need to know who Jesus is. Uh, you see see the problem as it really is. And, you know, in other words, you see when there are dirty feet, and you see when there's not dirty feet. So I noticed that my whole system started operating more fluidly, more smoothly, when I got back in touch with reality of who's God say I am, and what does he say is going on here? And then I felt Jesus being friendly. Let me tell you what's happening. Here's what's happening here. I have you here for this purpose. I have you here for this person. I have you here for this experience. I have you here. And so it's just like, okay, well, if I'm on his agenda, then everything, everything takes on a different color. And then I got to thinking about that. You know, when you, when you see things as they really are, you know where to put your hand. I mean, how many of us know people who wanted to do something meaningful, so they started a cause, and they they got people following them, and they protested, and they got a cause going. And it was motivated out of fear, or maybe anger, or maybe uh, greed, or maybe just the need to have people follow you. Uh, and, and, and we've seen what that does to people. That creates, these narcissistic leaders create crippled people, and We've all touched enough of that. But what about those who've done something meaningful in life and found they did it out of joy and they found more joy the more they did it? I, I was thinking about uh, Charles Colson. Charles Colson went through a terrible time. He was convicted and sent to prison during the Nixon years. and. So he went to prison and he saw what went on in prison and it bothered him. He saw dirty feet, metaphorically. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. And out of joy, he developed the whole prison fellowship thing that's now worldwide, actually, and has been used to bless thousands, thousands of prisoners and prisoners' family because it touched him and, 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 and because God touched him there, he was able to see what needed to be done. He didn't just go on a cause to make a name. It's like, no, let's do this the way it's supposed to be done. 
lots of other stuff. Lots of injustice has been corrected in, in recent years because somebody was a was a product of injustice. They were a victim of injustice, and and so they saw where where injustice is, where the corruption is, and they were able to wash feet there. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something if all of us had our eyes opened to what the real needs are and we could apply ourselves there out of joy? Not because we're trying to get something. It's just, Jesus enjoys being with me here, so I enjoy here, and, and here's a person hurting, and I can wash, I can wash their feet. I, I can serve them. And uh, a bunch of those people get together and form what they would call a church or a community. No telling what could happen as they served one another and then served others who, who were maybe on the edges of the community or not even a part of the community. And, and they started serving them and washing their feet. Wonder what might happen there. So you see, when Jesus is revealing his name to us, he is not just revealing the fact that that name is above every name and that the name of Jesus, every other authority, every other power has to submit. That is true. But the nature of that name is unconditional love. It's that which causes you to wash feet when feet need to be washed. And so when, when Jesus is explaining to us, as a friend does, what's happening, and you find yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable and dis inconvenient and maybe you're put upon and whatever, why don't you stop and just say, Lord Jesus, where are you here? And as a friend, what do you want to tell me is going on? Could it be that Jesus is preparing you to be a foot washer? If you want to get there pretty quickly, just go ahead right now and start thanking him. Thanking him for everything. Because everything you have is his. You're not entitled to anything. You say, well, there's some other people who, who've got that. Why can't I have it? Well, you're not entitled to it, but God may give it to you. You know, uh, somebody pointed out to me this week, this in, in the great temptation with Jesus, the devil, comes, Satan comes to him and says, if you will, if you're hungry and you will use your power, you can turn that stone into bread and you won't be hungry anymore. And then he said, if, if you will throw yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple, you know, you'll have angels that will catch you. They'll minister to you. Jesus denied both of those. And then it says, food was brought to him in the wilderness and he was nourished and angels attended to it. He got by God's grace, God's graciousness, he got that by rejecting the devil's substitute. God is not trying to keep you away from food and angelic protection. He wants to give that to you and more. And when you understand what God is doing in your life, you can you can readily admit, I have no rights. I have no, I'm, I'm not entitled. 
Everything I have is a gift. So I can just be grateful to God and appreciative for all those around me. And when you do, your relational circuits are open. Your eyes are open to see reality. Your ears are open to hear the voice of God. And no longer do you walk around as a blind person being victimized by circumstances. So that's kind of how the joy thing works when you're a friend of Jesus because he is, he's given you his life and you can appropriate that, that life by understanding what he's doing. Does that make sense to you? Well, let's rejoice today that God has shared his life with us. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for all the folk who are watching, listening, participating in this study. I'm so glad that they're, that they're in your plan and that you, that you have a design for them and you have a purpose for them and that I get to be alive at the same time on the earth as they do and that even in maybe this small way we get to touch. I thank you for those who pray for us in the ministry and those who who give money to us to help, help us go. But I, and for those who wish they could and can't, and, and from some who've never even thought about it, but they're giving somewhere else. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to you for giving us your word and for giving us this explanation of what life looks like. And thank you for giving us your joy. Thank you that we can be as complete in our satisfaction with the relationship with the Father as you are, Jesus. So I thank you for that. And thank you for this time together. And I ask you to let this word go forth and bring forth fruit a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've enjoyed our study. I hope you have. Until next time, this is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.